0: Well hello all you beautiful people, this is Robert Sykes, host of the Keto Savage Podcast and today I've got special guest Scott Maslinsky on here and hopefully I pronounced that right. We are talking carnivore, all things meat eater, it's going to be good. uh, This is the first time I've actually talked with him in depth, we had a little biz dev chat a while back but it was cool to talk nutrition with him because he's run the gamut, he's done paleo, he's done keto, he's now doing carnivore and we dove into why he does carnivore. What are some of the noticeable differences he's experienced in doing that over keto or paleo? Uh, we talk about how he structures his nutritional meal plan um, and kind of like the timing of his meals, which I found pretty interesting because doing it differently has caused some indigestion, some poor sleep. So really getting that fine-tuned was was fascinating to learn about. Uh, we also dive into the best way to cook steak. So that was also very interesting because we had a lot of different ways of going about it. And being strict carnivore. He's the steak cooking master. So without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy this podcast, and learn something about eating meat. We're live. Scott, how are you, man? Great. How are you, Robert? Thanks for having me. You bet, man. I'm doing wonderful. I want to dive into a little bit of everything here because you run the Carnivore Cast podcast, which is growing wildly successful as we speak. Um, I kind of want to just really flesh out all the intricacies of Carnivore, but I want to you know, go beyond that. But I definitely want to start there because I kind of default towards more of a Carnivore approach, but I'm curious to see what uh, what got you into Carnivore and kind of what are some of the tweaks and manipulations you've made in doing Carnivore. Yeah, awesome. Actually, before we even get there, just kind of give me a little background on you and why you're even in the keto space. Let's just start from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And um, yeah, I really appreciate kind words and you having me on. Um, I won't say I'm wildly successful, but uh, yeah, a few people listen to the show, which I'm very grateful for. Um, So my background, I come from a competitive lightweight rowing background. I rode lightweight for eight years, which if folks aren't familiar, um, is crew. Uh, This the sport of rowing but it involves weight cutting similar to wrestling Um, if you've heard all the horror stories there but actually it's worse because it's less regulated than wrestling you don't even need something like a doctor's note um, and you weigh in the day before the race so basically anything goes Um, people would cut you know 20 pounds in a week to make weight um, and then gain it all back over the weekend in a binge. Um, obviously a lot of that is water, but, um, it was pretty crazy. And on top of that rowing, you're, you're on the water. It's an endurance sport, similar to running or swimming, um, you know, sometimes three to four hours of practice a day. Um, so it, it's really takes a toll on your body combined with the malnourishment, um, really affects you. And coming out, out of that, I had some, some GI issues. I had some issues with really low bone mineral density, which is very abnormal in like a 22-year-old male coming out of school. Um, and I was just trying to sort of seek a healthier lifestyle and a way to not get overweight starting a career where I wouldn't be working out three to four hours a day. I would be working 80 to 90 hours a week. Um, On the road a lot and I thought hey, how can I you know change my dietary approach and my exercise approach? So that I stay somewhat healthy while I'm doing this Um, and that brought me to a Sort of paleo type approach. I was combining paleo with intermittent fasting I was still eating a ton of fruit a ton of nuts and I was eating a lot of boiled chicken sadly Um, but you know slowly learned over the years more and more about food and exercise um, and things my body responds well to um and naturally evolve towards more of a primal approach, Mark Sisson, um Rob Wolf, and then eventually uh ketogenic diet, uh following the influence um, of a lot of a lot of people popular in, in the 2013, 2014 timeframe. Um, and then eventually, uh, just found eliminating more and more foods. I felt better and better energy wise, productivity wise, performance in the gym, uh, my sleep, my mood, um, my satiety, uh, as well as my digestion. And, uh, eventually that led me to going full carnivore in 2016. Um, when I heard, uh, Amber O'Hearn, who I know has been on your show, um, a prominent carnivore researcher and citizen scientist on Two Keto Dudes podcast. Um, and she was talking about how plants not only may not be necessary, but may be harmful in some ways. And I really responded to that because I was already doing a version of keto where I was eating pretty large amount of animal protein. Um, I never you know, followed strict ketogenic macros, and I was eating kind of two meals a day of high quantities of meat and then vegetables, and maybe some cheese and and some oils. And I just said, hey, I already love eating a bunch of protein, um, why don't I try this out? And it was actually around the same time Sean Baker started Carnivore, I believe, and he was doing his experiments on Twitter too. And I felt great. Um, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but in Carnivore now for about three years, um, and uh, and that's what led me to start the podcast about a year ago. Um, part of it was, you know, it's so important. We talk about it a lot, but the community aspect of a diet or lifestyle change, um, and I felt somewhat isolated. Uh, you know, not a lot of people you meet in everyday life outside, unless you're sort of a keto or, or a carnivore entrepreneur, um, follow this this dietary lifestyle or way of eating. Keto or carnivore, and so it's a way for me to connect with people, is way for me to learn, and a way for me to kind of try to give back and hopefully inspire some people to think harder about their their dietary choices and experiment.
0: I love it. I love it. I I kind of want to dive into um, like just the, the progression because you you were cutting weight. I'm kind of curious about this whole cutting weight thing for crew because I don't know that much about sure. crew. So what was the? Um, like, what are the parameters? Do you just have to be a certain weight so that the the ship or boat itself, I don't know what, what the official term is, just doesn't have too much weight in there? What's what's the meaning behind that?
1: Yeah, so in the U.S., uh, the prominent event is the eight-man uh, boat. So, um, the college rules um, were – this is bring me back. Um, the boat average has to be – everyone in the boat on average has to weigh 155 pounds or less and no single person can weigh 160 pounds or more. So, you have guys who are, you know, six foot, six foot two – getting those 160 pound spots and then guys like me who are 5'10 having to suck down to you know one 150 149 maybe um and you weigh in at 5 p.m on a friday and then you usually race the next morning at you know eight nine 10 a.m um so guys would literally like cut out water on you know thursday um midday they would basically stop eating food on wednesday um maybe have some almonds on friday you know just dry almonds unsalted and not drink anything all the while maintaining practices having hard practices having um rows each day leading up to the event sometimes twice a day and then um really crazy guys would like just like chew gum and spit and sweat all day Friday. They would put on layers and layers of sweatshirts and jackets to sweat extra during practice. And then sometimes they would go to the sauna before the weigh in too. So people were literally like zombies getting on the scale at five PM. Then you hit the scale, everyone's brought their, you know, cookies and treats and the worst possible nutrition to like enter your body after essentially this period of like protein sparing modified fast or or not even just like really crappy calorie restriction um and basically they would binge on like wawa subs and like greasy food and candy and uh you know maybe a pedialyte or something would be like the most nutritious thing to try to get some electrolytes back and then they would go out and like have ice cream for dinner and like maybe even puke that night and then get up the next day um, and row at, at like, you know, 175, 180 pounds. And then the rest of the weekend is just a continuous binge. And then Monday morning you get back to it and the next weekend you probably have another
0: race. See, I, and this, this was in college, you said? yeah, I'm like amazed at high school and college, uh, like sports, like there's like team events, like wrestling as well. I mean, when I was in high school, a lot of people were wrestling. And like some of the stuff they would do, you know, similar to this is just totally the epitome of not healthy. And it's like the coaches, it's like they don't even put two and two together. They don't try and sway the athletes the other way. It's just like, yeah, do what you got to do. This is what you have to do to make weight. And it just blows my mind that this kind of like unhealthy behavior is, is kind of put on a pedestal almost.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And sometimes they would give some tips. Um, or share like, you know, some guidance, but a lot of times it was kind of just like the seniors would tell the freshmen and sophomores, the ropes and all the tricks. And then the coaches would turn a blind eye.
0: Not cool. Not cool. So from there, you kind of transitioned to the different, you know, eating techniques, paleo. What, what was the main difference between paleo and keto that you experienced?
1: yeah um, so on paleo, I would say I was having a lot of problems. One, I was just getting fat, um which isn't normal for like a um you know twenty two year old who's cooking all his own meals um and eating to satiety. I would have some like basically, I would go out to like nice dinners and have like dessert and uh, a more wide array of food like once a week with my girlfriend at the time, now wife um but I was eating. I was eating this crazy diet of like heavy, which looking back on it is wrong for so many reasons, raw spinach salads with some other cut raw vegetables, a ton of olive oil, a ton of balsamic vinegar, and boiled chicken breasts, and then a ton of fruit, and then like a six-egg omelet for breakfast. And then throughout the day, I would have a bunch of almonds and nuts. I would have like cans of nuts. Um so I, I'm, I'm pretty sure like no one in the paleo community would even recommend eating the way I ate. Uh, but I just thought like, oh, I'm not eating bread. I'm not eating dairy. I'm paleo.
0: Yeah, there's it's interesting, man. Like I look at, now that I'm, I've got my own food product, you know, the Keto brick. I look at all these different uh, marketed, like just labels. You have more of a keen eye for that now. And I look at all these products that are marked as paleo. And some of the stuff they get away with, it just blows my mind. Like it's just as processed as anything else. And it's just loaded with, you know, high glycemic index carbohydrates. And it's like people are just sold this idea of what paleo is. And if it's got a paleo sticker on there, then you're good to go. But not quite the truth.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the problem with these named diets is um, they're almost so reductionist that you you can really mess them up. And people can like hop on them with just knowing the name, which is good. It gets a lot of people started, mm-hmm. but um, it kind of lacks some of the essentials of, of nutrition education.
0: Totally. I mean, the same is true with, with keto now too. You're starting to see a lot more products enter the keto space that are not really what I would consider keto by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yep. So what's the what's the main difference between carnivore and keto? Like we're just going to go through the whole whole timeline here
1: yeah um so like i said it was just dropping that last bit of plants and i noticed one was like a much higher quality of energy and cognitive performance throughout the day which really surprised me because you would think you know the higher protein it's going to make you sluggish going to slow you down going to spike your blood glucose things like that um but for some reason i don't know if it was the amino acids in the meat i don't know if i was under eating somehow on keto um but i just felt this this like steadier energy it was almost like i at all times of the day i felt like i had had an extra coffee in addition to what i already had and then i felt i was way more sensitive to coffee so i kept lowering my caffeine intake Um, and i would also feel like um, on days that i didn't sleep well like let's say i got i normally get eight hours of sleep and i got like six or five i would feel pretty tired um on keto whereas on carnivore it would be like yeah i'm a little bit more kind of stressed and anxious um but i i wouldn't feel like as sluggish on carnivore and then um other than that sort of my digestion improved a lot um and until i started making some massive mistakes on carnivore um and then uh the The other thing was my gym performance increased a lot, so I felt like I could just move from one set to the next, no problem. In weightlifting, um, I was getting out of breath less frequently. I felt like my muscles were more full. I could lift more. <clears throat> I was stronger. Um, so that was that was all great.
0: Were you? I mean, do you track your macros at all? Or are you totally instinctive with it? Like, do you have any idea whatsoever what your intake may have been like?
1: Yeah, I track. Off and on from time to time. I wasn't tracking when I was keto, um, but I could guess that the numbers were something like probably like 200 grams of protein and maybe 100 to 150 grams of fat. Um, mm-hmm. That could be totally off. That sounds low. Um, maybe like 200 to 250 grams of protein, 100 to 150 grams of fat. And then when I switched to Carnivore, um, you know, I started eating about three pounds of meat a day. Um, so it was more like 300 to 350 grams of protein and, um, you know, 100 to 180 grams of fat. Um, and with keto, I probably had 20, 20 or 30 grams of carbs at most.
0: And with carnivores, basically zero? Yeah. Do you, what about like like dairy-based products like cheeses and creams? Do you incorporate those or no?
1: Um, I don't really, no,
0: no. So what is a typical day of eating like with the the time broken? Like are you doing two meals a day, one meal a day? Just kind of walk me through a typical day for you.
1: Yeah, so it's evolved a lot over time. Um, so one of the mis- a few of the mistakes I made starting out were, one, I was eating a lot of rendered fat. So when you cook something like ground beef, all the fat that comes out, let's say it's like a, an 80-20 ground beef, that's rendered fat. Um, and you can eat some of that, but really our bodies have a really hard time. I don't know the exact science behind it, but a really hard time digesting that fat, that liquid fat, um, in high quantities. Um, you know, people will either get really constipated or horrible diarrhea. Um, it's really weird. Like people always get one or the other, not both. Um, and I was basically cooking, I was buying like the cheapest possible grocery store ground beef. 8020 and eating all the fat or basically like letting it cool and eating it later. Um, and I would get basically I'd be fine all day. My stomach would feel great. And then I would I would eat, you know, two or three meals a day, middle of the day. And then in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., I would get massive bloating in my stomach, like like felt like my stomach was gonna explode. And then um like incessant burping, like painful really intense burping um, that would keep me awake at night and this persisted for months um, and i had no idea what was going on Um, i tried all these weird things like ginger and licorice extract and um, different digestive enzymes and apple cider vinegar and i there just weren't as many resources and like helpful people out there um like sean baker and paul saladino to talk about some of these things on carnivore. Um, and I thought it would just get better over time. And I, I kind of just naturally stopped eating as much rendered fat. And I also uh, kind of learned, learned that that was causing it at the same time. So it's hard to say um, exactly what prompted me, but I switched to you know draining the fat and having the leftover beef or eating more steaks where where you can eat the fat on that and it doesn't usually have the same effect so that helped a lot. Um, I also was. I started carnivore, and and ever since graduating from school, I've worked in very high stress, um, long hours, professional services jobs like management, consulting, and investing, where I was working, you know, eighty hours a week on average, traveling, late nights, fire drills, stress, etc. Um, and I combined that with intermittent fasting and probably some caloric restriction, due to the fact that I was. Uh, you know doing this this version of of keto um at the time and i continued the fasting with carnivore where i would basically skip breakfast have a coffee um and then have a green tea and then eat lunch at you know one or two and then another meal at like 8 pm and i think that was really bad because um basically when you when you're in this hyper cortisol state really high cortisol it, you need to reset your circadian rhythm each day and you need to calm yourself down. And having a big breakfast can help you do that. Um, you know, cortisol slowly rises and wakes you up in the morning. And by having a, a large meal, we can sort of settle it down. Um, and I, I was continuing to not do that. And I think that exacerbated some problems for me and, and made my sleep worse. And having that big meat heavy, fat heavy meal close to bedtime really impacted my sleep as well. So, I, I've, I've shifted my approach. I've also, you know, at first, I, I didn't think you need organ meats at all. I still probably feel that way, but I think they're a good insurance policy. I also actually enjoy them now, um, and, you know, I think that it, some people are totally grossed out by them and fight to not have to eat them, but really, they're like less than 10% of my diet. So, I'd say an average day of eating for me now is, you know, I wake up um, around 6.30, I'll probably have my first meal around 7, 7.30. It'll consist of probably a pound um, to a pound and a quarter, maybe a pound and a half of fatty meat. Could be a ribeye, a porterhouse, a New York strip, um, maybe some ground beef. And then in addition, I'll have some kind of side dishes. So maybe it's a couple eggs with the yolks, of course. Maybe it's some salmon roe. Maybe it's a small piece of raw liver. um, And... Uh, yeah, that's that's my first meal. Second meal will look almost identical. That's around noon. Again, some fatty meat, maybe a little bit leaner. Um, and uh, you know maybe I'll substitute some of the meat for something like a, a tin of sardines. But again, it's it's at least a pound. And then um, dinner is usually my smallest meal. It's at 430 or 5 pm. Um, to try to keep it as far away from bedtime as possible. And that's a really like sad (laughs) meal. It's like my leanest meal and it's only a half pound of meat. Um, so like, it's really pathetic. It's like two tiny little burger patties or something like that. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of an average day of eating for me.
0: I like it, man. It's, it's interesting because it's counter to what most people in the keto space probably doing. Like you're like, most people are uh, doing like a, a, fast throughout the morning hours, whereas you're eating pretty much yeah. right after you wake up. Um, I agree with, you know, having that smaller meal several hours before you go to bed because, I don't know, I, I've kind of played around with that. I feel like I, I fall asleep easier when I have a big meal right before I go to bed, but I don't feel like the quality of my sleep is better. I feel like the quality of my sleep actually decreases.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of your, I really enjoy your newsletter and a lot of your posts around, um, around sleep have been really interesting to me and some of your experiments.
0: Yeah, sleep is huge, man. Um, So I want to dive into the, the, the fat, like the rendered fat causing all the digestive upset. that's, that's interesting. What do you do? Like, do you do much olive oil or monounsaturated fats that are in its liquid form anyways, or do you pretty much just stick with like the animal based fats?
1: I just stick with the animal based fats. And this is a point I wanted to make when you started the conversation by saying you gravitate towards a carnivore approach. I really don't think carnivore is all or nothing. Um, people say like, oh, you're not carnivore because you ate this. You're not carnivore because you had a pickle, whatever. Carnivore, I mean, if we look at the biological term to start with, like carnivore means you eat meat, period. It could be 10% of your diet. It could be 100% of your diet. Um, and then you can classify carnivores in different ways. You could say hypercarnivore, that's someone who eats more than 70% of their calories from animal-based foods, mesocarnivore, which is something like 30 to 70, and then um, hypocarnivore, I think is the last one. Uh, Don Matez, um, who wrote the, car- the Hypercarnivore, which is an excellent book, I really like it. Um, he talks about this. But I, I really think, and Sean Baker delivers the same message, You know, get most of your food from animal-based products um and like these arbitrary classifications of you are carnivore black or white or you are keto if you if you don't eat 100 percent animal-based foods i think it's it's fairly arbitrary um that all being said i do stick to 100 percent carnivore um just because it works for me i it's sort of part of my um as 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 many problems as i have with people doing this it's kind of part of my identity um and it's part of sort of my experiment of continuing to eat this way for a very long period of time and i feel best when i when i stick to that i could very easily reintroduce foods and i've tried doing that at different times and see what affects me um i suspect that olive oil would have no negative impact but um the ways i get more fat in is just having fattier steaks Um, I've tried using beef suet, raw beef suet, which is the fat that surrounds the kidney. Um, and it's something advocated by people like Paul Saladino. Um, I, I find, I feel excellent on that. I feel like this great mental clarity and energy that people talk about when they really nail their keto macros. But, um, after about two to two and a half weeks, like clockwork, every time I start using the beef suet those symptoms of nighttime bloating and burping return um, in like the third week and then they stay for like three days and then they go away. So that to me means my body still has trouble breaking down even non-rendered fat. Um, And Rob Wolf talks about this. Some 90% of people have low stomach acid. um, And a lot of that is probably from eating low fat diets and a lot of processed foods um, and so I think that's still an issue I have to work through over time, but yeah, it's, it's a struggle for me. I wish I could eat more fat cause I feel a bit better on it, but those digestive issues always crop up. So it's, it's a delicate balance.
0: Yeah. I've had several, uh, nutritional therapists on, and they are always talking about, uh, you know, supplementing with hydrochloric acid just to kind of ramp that stomach acid up, help break down the fats and proteins a little bit easier. So that might be something yeah. worth trying, but getting that really dialed in would be, would be key for Definitely. anybody for sure. What about the, um, so you don't want to incorporate a whole lot of dairy cheeses or anything. Did Did you notice that you were like, just felt more bloated, like a lot of mucus or anything like that with the, the dairy? Yeah,
1: I haven't tested it a lot. Um, and I think for me, it definitely stimulated my appetite a lot more, which I didn't love. I liked, you know, ending my meals and being perfectly satisfied and just like not thinking about food for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't experimented with it a lot. And I think most people seem to, or a lot of people seem to do fine with dairy. And if you don't, you find out pretty quickly.
0: Totally agree. What about the whole grass fed versus grain fed uh, scenario? What's your, what's your take on that? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. And a lot of people ask about this every day. Um, so all meat in, in the United States at least is fed on grass for the majority of its life. You know, statistics merit vary somewhere between 60 and 80%. And then it's either finished with corn and um, wheat and possibly soy and other, other um, grain products to sort of fatten it up and then slaughtered, or it's continued to be finished on grass. Um, so uh, that's why I like the terms grass-finished and, and grain-finished. In my opinion, there is not sufficient evidence to say that one is nutritionally superior to the other. Um, People will argue both ways. People will talk about CLA and omega 3 to omega 6 ratios being better in in grass finished meat. Um, But really, the difference appears to be pretty negligible on an absolute or Basis On a um, proportional or, or percentage basis, it is high, and people often report it that way. But basically, as soon as you eat some meat that's higher in omega-6, like pork, bacon, chicken, um, turkey, you're basically erasing all of the difference between a week's worth of eating grass-fed, grass-finished, and uh, grain-finished beef. Um, so I think that's negligible. Um, in terms of the environmental impact... Um, people much smarter than me will debate this some will say that grain finished is actually better for the environment because it uses up less land uses up less resources they're eating a lot of the food that we wouldn't be able to consume as humans um, and they're able to be slaughtered more quickly um, because they're basically raised faster versus a grass-finished cow takes much longer before it's ready to be slaughtered Um, and and then a lot of the cuts like the fatty cuts there's there's less fat available on a grass finished cow um, so you can't eat it eat eat as much of it or, or you have to eat like very very lean um and then uh, it's, economically um, there is often a big difference in cost between a grain finished and a grass finished um, steak and uh, for most people it's just not uh, economically sustainable to eat only grass finished meat so all in all, I think the, the difference is negligible. Eat what you prefer. Eat what you can afford. And, um, you know, you should be worrying way more about other things in your diet before thinking about that difference.
0: Totally agree there. I mean, I think you, know, you don't want that to be the limiting factor by any means. Yep. Do you personally gravitate more towards the grain finish?
1: Um, I eat, I, I'd say 80% of my diet is grain finished. Um, that's what I buy in the grocery store unless there's something – Incredibly on sale, and then you know I love to treat myself to like a divine marbled Delmonico steak from US Wellness Meats from time to time, or um, you know some of these some of these um, meat companies will send me like uh, Teton Waters Ranch will send me beef, and I'll enjoy that. Um, But yeah, I, I don't, I'm definitely not dogmatic about only buying uh, grass finished. I also, uh, I should mention, I belong to a meat CSA, which is pretty cool. So if people have heard of community shared agriculture, it's essentially farmer, small farmers, um, or ranchers have a really hard time predicting demand for their products, whether it's vegetables or meat. Um, so if you join something called a CSA, it's like a subscription where a bunch of people pool in and say, you know, I will get whatever you have available once a month. And you basically get a box, um, and I belong to one in, in the Massachusetts area called Walden Local Meats. Uh, I've done it for years, even before I was carnivore. And they have awesome grass-finished meat from all local farmers that they pool um, around the area. So I do get that once a month.
0: That's awesome. I haven't heard of that. So you, is there like a like a national website where you can just go and find your locational CSA? Or how's that work?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I don't know. There's one that's... Um, uh, I think it's something like eat wild or eat local where you can find local farmers. Um, the strong sisters on Instagram, always talk about it, but um, there, if you just Google like meat CSA um, and in your state, you'll probably be able to find a couple.
0: Nice. I will definitely check that out. What about wild game meats? Do you ever try and incorporate that much? Or can you tell the difference with them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, uh, like some of the videos and pictures you post of your, your hunts and like eating the, eating the deer, like right after you kill it just sounds like so incredibly delicious. Um, and so like, I think you, both you and Joe Rogan have talked about like having a fresh killed animal first of all just like emotionally that appeals to me like saying like i went i found this animal i killed it i know exactly how it was how it died how it was like processed um and then i ate it within like 24 hours of it dying that sounds like awesome to me and then secondly they you both talk about like your brain buzzing with like the quality of the meat after biting into it um i haven't had that experience but i would love to someday.
0: Well, shoot, man. I'm gonna go hunt this weekend. I'll get you fixed up if I kill anything. I uh Yeah,
1: man, that sounds great.
0: I but totally see the the point in there not being that much of a a range and difference between the quality of a grass fed versus grain fed or finished rather, you know, in that scenario that you described. But like for me, just looking at, you know, the basic underlying foundation of what like a wild game animal is doing throughout the entirety of its life, I just have to assume that margin of difference is Significantly more for like a wild game meat. It's much leaner meat, so it's yeah, not as easy to get the fat ratio up. Generally speaking, yeah. but the I mean, the flavor profile is totally different, and the yeah. the color of the meat is totally different. Like, everything is totally different. So I would have to assume that margin is is quite a bit wider.
1: Yeah, I would assume it is too for for wild game meat. And one thing to know about um, grass fed, I should have mentioned this earlier, is a lot of times you'll see grass fed in a grocery store. Um, As of, uh, I forget what year it was, but I think it was 2016, the the label grass-fed is no longer uh, regulated, so anyone can put that on their food, pretty much. Um, It's almost entirely arbitrary. So you might think you're getting this amazing grass-finished ribeye like what you would get from U.S. Wellness Meats when you go to your grocery store and it says grass-fed, but those are two entirely different quality animals.
0: Is that, like, is there another nomenclature they've switched to or what's the what gives there
1: yeah um they've just they've just opened it up um so unlike things like organic which actually require you get certified and you have to pay and all this stuff um grass-fed is is just kind of like a marketing term now so um i think you just have to like it, it gets to like getting to know your farmer and know the source really well that's the only way to ensure the quality
0: and organic's kind of tricky too, because there's a lot of I think U.S. Wellness Meats is an example. They they've not gotten the uh, you know organic sticker basically because it's just like a a cost prohibitive thing, and then it just becomes more of an issue down the road. Whereas like they're basically raising their cattle all organically, but it doesn't make sense for them. If I'm maybe butchering this, I think it's uh, U.S. Wellness Meats, but they don't have that organic sticker because there's just no there, there's not a need for it in their perspective, but. Going to a local farmer and knowing, you know, full, full stop where your meat's been, where it's going. That's, that's the only real way to know with absolute certainty.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So dive into training, man. So what exactly are some of the differences you've noticed with training as it relates to a strict carnivore approach? Cause there's a lot of people that will be strict keto or strict carnivore for an extended period of time. And then for whatever reason, cause how long have you been strict carnivore now? three years, three years So have you noticed any dip in performance in being straight carnival for three years or do you th- do you find things are continually improving?
1: No coming from keto, my performance only improved um, and I I'd say you know what what I specifically noticed was um, it like it basically feels like you've taken a pre-workout every single time you're in the gym um, and without having taken one, um, so you feel like really amped up, high energy. Um, my fatigue, both between sets and between workouts, is much lower. Uh, I recover faster. I have little to no muscle soreness compared to even keto. Um, I think that just comes down to less inflammation and less things affecting your gut, which can be a large source of inflammation. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm just stronger. I think um, that may be. Uh, the super compensatory effect of the creatine although I was already taking creatine while on keto but I don't take creatine anymore and it feels like um, it feels like the difference between uh, when I was not taking creatine at all and started taking it sort of that extra boost of strength and uh, muscle fullness
0: so you're not having any issues getting a pump or having vascularity while training then
1: no I mean I I took a lot of tips from you and others of, of managing my salt intake. So I I usually will have, you know, a a teaspoon of salt or maybe one of the LMNT packets before a workout. And yeah, I mean, I'm, people comment on some of my photos, like I am, I do not have an impressive physique by any standards, but I am insanely vascular (laughs) for some reason. Um, and a lot of that has been, you know, making sure I have a ton of salt before my workouts. Um, and, and it's something you have to manage. You can overdo it, but I feel awesome when, um, I have the right amount of salt in my system going into a workout.
0: Have you ever experimented with any kind of, you know, cyclical or targeted approach with carbohydrates in tandem with this carnivore diet?
1: Yeah. So I've experimented with dextrose, um, pre-workout. Um, so just like a tablespoon of dextrose, it's like nine grams so still you know definitely staying ketogenic um you know having nine grams of carbs in a given day and i would only do it on days when i had like a really high volume heavy leg workout planned um but yeah that that definitely i felt like i would say for the most part my performance might have increased like maybe a rep on each exercise maybe not maybe just a mental thing But one thing I definitely noticed is like going to the gym after having had that, like immediately after having had it, I would get like kind of jittery, even just that nine grams of carbs and you feel like kind of psyched up, um, which I I almost didn't like um, because it was almost like when I go into the gym, I want to have a good workout, but I don't want to feel like anxious, you know, I'm not trying to like have a peak performance every single time I'm going into the gym. I more think of going into the gym as like setting the table and getting the right dose of stimulus. I don't want to like go in and crush myself. I don't want to think about it as a test. Um, So that was part of it that I didn't exactly
0: love. Did you notice any increased vascularity on the the days that you experimented with the dextrose?
1: I can't say I did. Um, I would say doing things like Uh, I would say what it did increase is my ability to, um, like stack isolation exercises at the end of my workouts. Um, so basically, um, you know, my typical workout will be two to four compound movements and then, you know, one to three isolation movements. And I basically felt like after I'd had the carbs, even those towards the end of the workout, I was just like able to run from one isolation movement to the next nonstop very easily. And resting felt unnecessary and insignificant between like supersetting uh, my last isolation exercises.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting, man. I'm always curious to get people's take on what they've noticed with, you know, dosing carbohydrates pre post intra workouts uh, compared to not at all, just to see if there's a difference um, I've I've found that the longer people are following a you know stricter version of keto or carnivore, the less difference in a in a positive way they see with the carbohydrate. Oh, that's that makes really sense. So like if they're not deeply adapted, they they notice more of a benefit from the carbs. Like they can have a more profound aha, this is actually working. Versus the more adapted they are to, towards like a keto or carnivore approach, it's like they don't really notice as much of a positive or even any positive impact from the carbs
1: yeah i can see how that would be true and i mean you've been keto adapted for how long now and and you 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 haven't needed them obviously
0: yeah i don't I'll stay away from them for sure um what about i want to dive into cooking a little bit because a lot of people veer away from carnivore um, because they feel like there's just not enough food variety. and that's why I don't call myself a, a carnivore. You made a good point earlier when you were saying like there's the hypo hyper and what was the just medial meso carnivore and i don't I don't consider myself you know hardcore strict carnivore by any means. i I say you know, carnivoresque version of of keto because I am a hundred percent keto. I've been strict keto for five years now, and I can you know hang my hat on that and say, look, this is my lifestyle i don't deviate from it this works really well for me there's no need to deviate from it but i couldn't say that i'm a strict carnivore because there's oftentimes i'll we'll have you know i'll have a salad if i'm craving a salad or i just i have a little bit more variety um so i don't put myself into that bucket but 90% of the time i'm definitely eating just meats um you know with some type of fat like i'll have heavy cream and stuff in coffee but for you being more towards a strict carnivore approach what do you do about like food variety i found i found that the longer you're strict carnivore the less food variety you even crave so it's kind of a non-issue but what do you find yourself kind of doing to mix things up
1: yeah that's definitely a thing um i mean when i started out i was i was um, eating things like uh you know trying to make these bacon cheeseburgers and um you know uh, bacon cheeseburger like casserole type dishes and all these weird concoctions Um, for me now, variety is like a ribeye or a porterhouse or a New York strip. Um, but I, yeah, I, I mean, I do vary the way I cook things, not for variety's sake, more for, um, like trying to get a certain taste and it depends on the amount of time I have. So, you know, if I'm super rushed, I'll just chuck the steak in the air fryer. I like to do it from frozen. So it actually stays more rare in the middle and you can get more of the crisp on the outside. Um, whereas if you defrost meat and then put it in the air fryer, Tends to result in it being medium or just not cooked enough on the outside.
0: Um, I'll sometimes Can I pause you there real quick because I have not mastered this at all, and I, I need I need you to help me with this one because sure, I've yeah. tried the the steak from frozen in the air fryer, and like I, I did it the other day. I had a, the the founder of US Wellness Meats on, and this is what he does too. And I'm like, okay, I got to try this. And no matter what I do, it's like it always turns out chewy. So I'm doing something ah. wrong.
1: I think i actually got this from that podcast when you had him on that was a great one i i forget his name john something um yeah so uh, what i do is you take a steak and it obviously depends on size thickness etc but let's say it's like about a pound and an inch to an inch and a half thick um also something to know is like the size of your air fryer uh affects how quickly you can cook the food so i had a four quart air fryer now, I think I have a six quart air fryer. It's huge, but it actually takes longer to cook. What brand is it? Uh, the one I had before was Philips, I think. And the one I have now is like Omork or something. Um, it was just the biggest one I could I find on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I think the Ninjas are actually the best. Yes. Uh, if I could go back, I would get one of those. Um, but yeah, the bigger the air fryer, the slower your food cooks. Um, something to know. So I don't preheat the air fryer at all, I set it to 400. And for a completely frozen, you know, one-ish pound, one-ish inch thick steak, I do about six to eight minutes per side on 400. Um, And that comes out pretty perfect. That's medium rare when it's done? Uh, Usually it's, yeah, it's either rare or medium rare and like nice and crispy on the outside.
0: Do you have to let it rest for any period of time or you pretty much just cut into it right as it's done?
1: no i cut cut into it right away i actually think uh there's this really funny um website uh it's actually a serious website i think it's called meat science or something um but they actually compile all these studies on like (laughs) i don't know who funds these studies but like ways to cook meat and there was this extensive article i read once about how resting meat is like a complete myth and they did controlled experiments where you like eat the meat right away versus you let it rest and the difference in the amount of juices that's that like spills out which is the reason people say you need to rest the meat is like to reabsorb the juices or whatever it's actually fairly negligible um so pro tip for people you don't really need to rest your meat you
0: can if you want but interesting i like it well what were you saying the other other methods you're using
1: yeah. So I have a skillet, a cast iron skillet from Lodge. I like to use that sometimes. I just heat it up. I, I leave the leftover tallow or fat that cooks off in the pan over time. And then I'll just clean it out every two to four weeks um, and put some more beef tallow in there from from that I've saved and stored in the fridge or from Epic. Um, I buy, buy their beef tallow sometimes. Um and so I'll cook stuff in that. It takes a while to heat up. Um and to get any real good sear on a steak, I find you it needs to create smoke. And living in uh, the small one bedroom Boston apartment I live in, uh, that's not ideal. So I've kind yeah. of
0: smoking uh, your stuff out, setting the yeah. alarms off.
1: Yep. We have a we have a plastic bag over our smoke detector. <laughs> Which I don't recommend. That's legal. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not. Um, And so I I usually just use that for like batch cooking. So I'll like, if I do meal prep, like on a Sunday, I'll cook like a ton of burgers um, in that and this nice, really nice pan I have. Um, And then um, I use the air fryer like more if I'm trying to have food fresh right away. Um, But sometimes me and my wife will be like cooking a meal at the same time and we'll fight over who gets the air fryer. Um and then I used to it cook a lot like of. Meat so- crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. That's great. Um, and then um I I used to cook a lot of meat in the oven on broil, uh, but I've kind of veered away for that, not for any good reason. Um, I actually think that's a really good cooking method because if you just put it on broil and you get a baking sheet and then you put um aluminum foil, tin foil on it, uh it's actually super easy to clean up because as long as the like juices don't spill off the pan. You can just throw away the aluminum foil, um, and then you're done. Uh, so that's nice, but it, it you have to kind of watch your watch your meat a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's that's cooking for me. I, I like some eggs fried in butter. Who doesn't? Um, you know, nice runny yolks. Um I, yeah, that's how I, I cook my, some of my stuff. I have a sous vide. I've stopped using it um, for a similar reason to why I've used the skillet less. I find when you sous vide a steak, you have to get that skillet so freaking hot to get a good um, get a good crisp on it that it just creates so much smoke um, because the steak's already mostly cooked, right? So you don't want to cook it in the middle anymore. So you have to get the skillet really freaking hot to to get that nice layer on it. So I've I've stopped using the sous vide for that reason.
0: Yeah, I've got a sous vide as well, and I like, I like, I like the concept of it, and I I like some of the dishes I prepare for, with it. But I feel like the I'm no matter what, I never get quite the crust that I would prefer with the sous vide. Like even if I get the skillet just raging hot, like it's just not the same as a grill. Period. Like no matter what you do, and I've got a little blowtorch and I tried that, but then my steak tastes like propane. So I've kind of gravitated away from the sous vide. Plus, it's probably not optimal to have your food just soaking in a plastic bag. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably not ideal. You can get like those
1: silicone bags, right?
0: Or yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of those, and that's definitely a step up for sure. Um, I've got a Traeger, and I've been cooking all my steaks on that, doing a reverse here. If you ever had oh, that,
1: yeah. Oh man, I on our we just I got married a month ago and we had our honeymoon and we stayed in, thank you. We stayed in a rental that had a grill and I live in an apartment building, so we can't have a grill. Oh man, Uh, like you people with grills, you have it made. It's so nice.
0: Well, the cool thing about this, I mean, normally in in the past before I got this trigger, I would just, you know, use some charcoal and I'd, you know, grill it like you would anything else, just relatively high heat, um, you know, flip it six, eight minutes on each side. But now with this Traeger, with this reverse sear, I, I don't know where I got this. I probably got it off a of Joe Rogan podcast, but I've been like, I'll season the steak up and then I'll put it on 225. And the nice thing about the Traeger is it's like an oven, basically. The temperature stays the same. Um, so I'll just set it in there until it reaches like 115 degrees internally. And then I'll take it off and then crank the temperature up to 450. And then I'll sear it for two minutes on each side. And then I've been letting it rest, but I might not do that going forward now. But that is like the epitome of a delicious, perfectly cooked steak. Also, it's like not overly cooked to any any point. It's got that crust on there. It's super tender and juicy. It's like, it's the way to go, man.
1: You're making my mouth water.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm going to have some steaks tonight. I've been thinking about you. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, so, what what do you getting in the pipeline, man? Like, what is coming? Like, wh- where do you see carnivore going? In the future because it's i feel like it's kind of gained a lot of traction and momentum right now i feel like right now it's kind of like this civil war in the health and nutrition space between like carnivore and vegan it seems like i don't know what's what's your take on that
1: yeah i mean i I loved your podcast with chris Irvin, and i agree with a lot of what he said and sort of the whole team human concept i think if anyone is paying attention to what they eat and trying to control their health I admire that because so many people aren't. So many people are just eating completely unconsciously and putting in in their mouth whatever appears in front of their faces or whatever is marketed to them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll say that to start. I'd say I think um, it seems like the science is moving towards people having a better acceptance of meat as a part of a healthy diet. And when I just talk to a layperson, colleagues, people who have no in invested interest or or carefully study health and nutrition they seem to understand oh yeah healthy fats fats are okay sometimes they're like but animal fat is bad but in general they seem to say like oh yeah you need protein you need animal protein um eggs are good they know about the keto diet they know it's it's good for weight loss at least so i feel like it's it's accelerating and with people like sean baker and michaela peterson jordan peterson paul saladino they're really elucidating a lot of the science behind the diet and bringing to bear these these case studies. But I think it's going to be a very long time before any sort of health authorities um, endorse a carnivore-based diet. I think ketogenic diets may get there with things like Verta Health, but carnivore will not for a very long time. What I think may happen and is happening is just a continuation of kind of the grassroots movement of you know, people realizing this isn't just a fad diet, people realizing the potential of carnivore for autoimmune conditions, health conditions, and that's, that's a lot of what I try to do with my podcast. You know, half the guests are, are researchers, experts in keto or carnivore like yourself, doctors, et cetera, and half are just N equals one case studies, people who have never been on a podcast before, have overcome things like diverticulitis, diabetes, uh, major depression, etc. cetera. Um, and I try to bring them on the show. Um, and so, you know, someone out there searching for diverticulitis, who's really suffering can maybe discover and hear this person's story. And, you know, it's not scientific, but maybe that'll just inspire them to, to give this a shot for 30 days or 60 days and and see if it works for them.
0: I like it, man. I think you're, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. I feel like this grassroots movements, you know, going to basically, what you've seen in keto over the past two years, I think you're going to continue to see going forward into carnivore. So that's exciting for sure. Um, I mean, I consider carnivore like a subset of keto. So they kind of go hand in hand um, with a clean keto approach and so not all this crappy stuff out there. But it's cool for me to be able to see people take a carnivore approach, which is basically like the epitome of an, a true elimination diet, and just give their body the, the you know, optimal nutrition Uh, you know, super clean ingredients, incredibly nutritionally dense foods. And then all these, these health issues and concerns they've had seemingly just disappear. And that is very powerful. Like just getting N equals one people on there, just getting real life people on there to talk about that because so many people are suffering from a host of all different kinds of things. So if they can simply change their nutrition, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, I went to the store and bought a weed eater and the person checking me out was like, yeah, my doctor's trying to get me on a statin and high blood pressure uh-huh. meds because all this stuff. And, and she was like, well, let me try working out first. And I'm like, don't, don't try and fool with that yet. Just, just turn your diet around, like eat keto, you know, go carnivore if you want, but you change those very simple, easily manipulated things. And that's going to make the more, you get more bang for your buck doing that than anything else you could possibly do.
1: Yeah, totally. I think, you know, people are just so quick to hop on a drug hop on a new medication. Um, I just really wish people would experiment a little bit more. And I think that's that's hopefully where I see this going more. That's If I could hope for one thing, it's, it's people being willing to self-experiment um, with different diets and seeing what works for them directly.
0: 100%, man. Well, keep doing what you're doing, spreading the word on your podcast, man. The more people that hear about it, the better. Thanks, Robert. You too. You bet, man. And where where can people go to listen to that podcast and find you on the social interwebs?
1: Yeah, yeah. Feel free to reach out to me. Ask me a question. I love hearing from people. Um, it's ca- the Carnivore Cast on any any podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, etc. Um, or go to carnivorecast.com, all one word, or just search me on, on Instagram. It's Carnivore Cast. And yeah, like I said, reach out. I'm, I'm always happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, Scott, again, brother, it's been a been a pleasure getting you on here. I really appreciate your take on all this. Uh, you articulate your your thoughts very well. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Appreciate Thanks, Robert.
1: You. Really appreciate it.
0: See you, bud.